Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I know Brianna and I told you that we were wrapping up season four with our reflection. Surprise, we weren't. (laughs) (laughs) We did allude to the fact that we might be able to sneak in one or two more episodes. And we are, Brianna and I are so excited that Kate McMahon has returned uh, to the podcast to do another book club. So if you're interested, more interested in Kate and what she's up to and who she is, please check out some previous episodes where she visited with us and we had great conversations about belonging and, and other books. Uh, Bittersweet actually was our last book club, mm-hmm. which was super yeah. fun. Um, today we are going to talk with you about a book we all read a little while ago, if we're being honest, um, <laughs> called Emotional Inheritance. It's a therapist, her patients, and the legacy of trauma. And it's, I hope I'm saying this correctly, it's Dr. Galit Atlas. And so we w- wanted to give you sort of a why. And honestly, I think it's a lot of just curiosity. Um, the three of us, I think it's safe to say, are readers. We listen to podcasts and um, Dr. Atlas has kind of made the rounds. This book has gotten some press and some play. And I was listening to her podcast and was just really curious. And of course, you know, both of you, that this is a podcast about belonging. And that just got me thinking about this notion of emotions and sort of bringing that trauma and inheritance into our lives and what is the impact. So I thought I asked Kate and Brianne after such a great conversation about bittersweet, would you be interested? And these lovely women said, yes, of course. And so here we are. So welcome Kate and Brianne. Thanks. Thanks for having me guys. Absolutely. So, so I think the plan is that we don't really have a plan and we're okay in that space, but Brianne is going to start us off because there's, there I have to say, I don't know about both of you, but there's so many good little nuggets in this book that it was hard to to limit. But we did find one, Brianne pointed out one that's on page four of the book, if you're following along, that we thought we would just start off with and, and get each other's reactions to. Yeah, so I'll read this passage. But uh, before I do, I read this book on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. And this was around the time, Carrie, that we were talking with Taylor And if you remember, it was the week before those crazy floods in Fort Lauderdale. So I have this like context of when I read the book and, you know, you can like bring yourself right back (laughs) to where you you were were when you read the thing. Yeah. So that's where I am. I'm on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. It's really nice. Um, (laughs) There were no floods yet. We had no idea that was coming. So all was well. And you were reading this book. That's this is a hard book to read on the beach. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would bill this as a beach book. Um, Yeah, totally agree. It's definitely not not a beach read. (laughs) Um, But it was on my to do list. I had the book and I had time and I just that's my favorite thing, regardless of the book, to just sit there and have like hours to just get into it. So um, I did a lot of crying on the beach, but it was it was great. (laughs) Um, So this is from page four. It says, from a very young age, my siblings and I learned to recognize what was not acceptable to talk about. We never asked about death. We tried not to mention sex, and it was better not to be too sad, too angry or disappointed, and absolutely not too loud. My parents didn't burden us with unhappiness, and they believed in optimism. 
When they described their childhoods, they were painted in beautiful colors, hiding trauma, poverty, and the pain of racism and immigration. And so when we were connecting, kind of loosely planning this podcast, I was flipping through the book, trying to reacquaint myself with it. And that passage popped up. And so I shared it with Carrie and we're like, oh, that might be, might be a good place to start. So what did you both think of that passage? Yeah. I mean, I think that for me, it kind of felt it rang true to me. And it interestingly, just to give context to the time and space where I was, when I was reading this, I I was actually listening to it and it was, um, it was mostly on my commute into North Philly um, when I was uh, working at Temple University Hospital. Um, So the backdrop to all of this trauma um, was visibly and uh like emotionally mm. super uh readily available to and you could like touch it smell it feel it um and so i think that it kind of gave a different sense of like gravity to all of it um and yes all the all the tears i think my brain was fascinated by this concept and my heart uh cried as many tears as you did probably um but yeah i mean growing up i it, it's I know we'll get into this later, but the the whole con you know concept of you know boundaries and secrets and what you share and what you don't share, what's okay to talk about, what's not okay to talk about. I think that it is it's such it's such a tricky line, and it's one that I don't have an answer to. But similarly, I had a nice upbringing. We didn't really kind of talk about bad, hard. I mean, it was addressed, but never fully revealed or, or openly communicated. I don't know. How was it for you guys growing up? Is this similar to how you were raised? Oh yeah. And, (laughs) and my mom is a a regular listener. So I say this knowing that she's listening because she has said to me, um, as an adult, you know, that she felt like she perhaps sheltered us too much, right. From, from things. Um, and look, like we're all parents that's like setting those boundaries and thinking about what's kid appropriate, you know, is it's so hard. So like, I I don't, you know, there's no hard feelings around that. It it just, it's the experience that I had and and it's what our parents thought was best for us. Right. So like, that's okay. What I thought was interesting, if I was going to dig into the passage a little bit, I don't know that I would go as far to say in terms of my own childhood that I learned to recognize what wasn't acceptable to talk about. It just didn't come up. Like we were so focused on, um, you know, this idea of my parents didn't burn it, burden us with unhappiness. That was hundred percent true. Like joy and happiness were, were sort of the the thing of the day, right? So, um, so yeah, so I so I I see it a little bit differently from my own perspective, but the whole notion of things being painted in beautiful colors, hiding trauma, I think there was a lot of that, right? Um, and I think my mom and I, if we were talking today, would both agree that um, a dash of sadness and knowing that there's hard out there is, is actually healthy for a kid. We actually just had a conversation recently about my kids and sort of how do we manage that and, and not being sort of that, that snowplow parent, right. That like, so that they're not shell-shocked when, when you go out into the world that like, oh my goodness, all this is happening in, in Philadelphia and other, and many other places. So that, so that was my experience with the passage. 
Well, and I feel like, Carrie, you lived that when you took Colby to a funeral recently, right? Yeah. And I remember you made that really distinct decision. Like he's, I think, ready for these conversations. The twins, maybe not so much just yet. You know, yeah. that was like really intentional about introducing sadness to him and yeah. Um, oh, that's yeah. such a thanks for remembering that. Yeah. And I think what was unique about this funeral is I knew it was going to be a celebration of life. Like it, that's what the person who passed away wanted. And so I thought if I'm going to take him to a funeral, this is a good place to start because it's not going to be as dark and sort of morose as they can be, right? Which sometimes they are. So yeah. So thanks for remembering that, Brianne. That's true that I am trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, I would say I definitely grew up in a place where I knew what wasn't to be talked about, which was mostly anything emotional. Um, And it was couched in heritage, oddly enough. Um, Mm. It was like, well, we're Irish and this is the way Irish people are and it's just, everything's fine. And and I was like, (laughs) oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so that's how I, that's what I knew. And then, you know, as I got older, I was like, oh, I think there might be like a little more I could be <laughs> unpacking and thinking about it. Um, but, you know, it was just sort of superficial and that's how we, I mean, you know, it was happy and, and all of that sort of thing, yeah. but um, it wasn't deep. There was no depth and it was pretty clear that we were not to go there. Mm. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's it's so interesting because Carrie, as you mentioned, we all of us are parents and we are now in the position to be <laughs> bestowing for better or worse all the things onto yeah. this next generation, either by way of genetics and DNA or by you know nature nurture, how we're acting and what we're talking about. But it is so um fascinating to me because you know, I think it's uh good and kind to feel that we have this control over what, you know, like uh, how we can, um, you know, kind of uh, allow for flow of negativity to come into Mm. their life. But then you think about these other situations where the people involved don't have uh, control or capacity for these things that happen. And it's like, what's, I don't know what the right answer, you know, like, do you just drop into like the saddest funeral, or the most traumatic funeral ever at the age of two or seven or 15, or I don't, you know, like it's, yeah. it's so hard to know when to share things. And I, I also agree. I, even with some of my own stuff with kind of when to share with my own children and w- at what age or for what purpose. And, and I think it's so good to be mindful of that, uh, for the benefit of our children, but I don't know. It's also hard to, you know what I mean? It's like, it's it's just this really tricky line. And I think the thing that I found so fascinating in this is whether or not things are even talked about, whether or not the horrors of your past or your ancestors past are even brought up, acknowledged, uh, acted out in any sort of way what in these vignettes that are shared here clinically, I think it is fascinating to see the ways in which these truths or questions or longings or fascinations, how they manifest in dreams and, and, you know, these obsessions with things and these yearnings and not really knowing why I find that to be endlessly fascinating that yeah. even, even when you given there was that one story, right, of the um, Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. They came to America and met that, you know, they were in their teens when they arrived, you know, had a child, never wanted to expose her to all that they had seen and known and lost. 
was never brought up, never talked about beautiful upbringing, suburban, happy, joyful, all the things. But then that next generation, she was left with so many questions and just this unsettled feeling. And it was really beautiful how they, she kind of found her way to, you know, a better understanding of her heritage. But it's like, is that, was that a gift that the parents gave her by giving her this beautiful, joyful upbringing as most parents do want to provide for their kids? Or was that, a, you know, inviting a struggle, a future struggle for her that they probably didn't see coming down the pike? You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, I think the takeaway for me with this book is it's, it's a yes. And right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, and I think there were some stories in the book around the trauma and sort of how the trauma manifests that. I also found beautiful. And also at times I was like, Hmm, am I like believable? Like believability Mm -hmm. is questionable. Not that I, I mean, look, I mean, these are, these are Dr. Atlas's stories. And so I, I believe, right. So, so some of them are hard to take in. Um, but I do think the takeaway for me is to get back to Kate, to your sort of questions around what do we say? What do we share? Is it important? I, I couldn't help but think about, this this idea of empathy right and that the real definition of empathy is not that you've experienced what the person experienced but that you have the capacity to believe what they're saying is true mm-hmm. and so what i find really powerful is that i guess for me a couple of things that like emotions and trauma show up they will no matter how much you try to ignore it it shows up Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not I need to share that specific details of every trauma with with someone is less important. What I think is important for me is this was a good book to remind me that we need to hold space for sharing whatever much or little you want. And then the other people need to be ready to receive it and believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that we have to be able to build those conditions. And that for me, that's where belonging comes in. Right. Like mm-hmm. this, this notion of like the conditions of belonging, a space for authenticity and vulnerability and listening. And so, yeah, so I have no idea what the right answer is about depth of sharing. I just, for me, it's not entirely necessary that I know your whole story and I'm also going to trust you and believe what you're telling me was painful or upsetting or, or, you know, grieve, grievable. So, yeah, I think too, with belonging, I, I think it was kind of, a just a good reminder as a human being, just knowing that we all come from ancestors in mm. many shapes, sizes, colors, <laughs> countries of origin, um, situations, you know, socioeconomic status, all the things, but there was struggle. For sure. To some degree, great or small, your parent, your grandparent, your great, 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 whoever. But there was survivability and that. And I think that we're all here because the people who came before us got over, you know, walked through things and got Mm -hmm. over things and carried on. And and that there's something uh, beautiful in that shared... uh, suffering, but also the shared survivability mm-hmm. of that. Um, and the like resilience that it took for us just to be here, you know, like just to, the fact that we simply exist means that someone and many, 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 many someone's, you know, kept putting one foot in front of the other. And so I think it's also just really, um, I don't know, uh, it just puts me at ease to know that like, 
you know, and whether you know it or not, or whether you, you've explored to the depths of, you know, your own maybe personal trauma or your parents or grand whatever, um, or not, it's there and you can choose to do with that what you will. If you're finding things that are showing up in your life, there was one, um, part on page 90 and 91 that was saying, um, you know, uh, Uh, yeah, I'm always curious to understand my patients, life choices, why they choose to have or not have sex, relationships, a family, a career. As the narrative unfolds, the gaps between what people want to have and what they can tolerate having become apparent. Why do so many people want love but can't find it? Want a career but can't succeed? Want to move forward but get caught in the same cycle over and over again? And they said there is an unseen, uh, unconscious part of us that might go against our conscious goals and even attack and undermine them. In fact, everything we don't consciously know about ourselves has the power to control and run our lives in the same way that the riptides below the surface of the ocean are its most powerful forces. So it's like you might find that you're in these patterns or kind of, uh, you know, if, if you're finding an invitation. So for anyone out there listening who's kind of like, who cares? Like if you're finding that you're in some of these patterns, like there, there's something else. There's this other factor that maybe when you're kind of making lists of all the things that you've got going on, like that you're not maybe paying mind that is happening kind of in the background. Yeah. You're awfully quiet up there. Oh, I'm just thinking, well, first of all, I didn't underline that passage. And I'm like, how did I not underline that? Because that riptide line, that's like, yeah, isn't that wild? Yes, that's so powerful. You know, what I'm thinking about, which is something that didn't come to me as I was preparing this was or is this idea of how, like, what's the relationship between the humanness of these lived experiences that are passed along, and the way that cultures dictate the telling of stories. So I'm thinking about mm-hmm. um, cultures where oral tradition is how you share stories. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is not as much of an issue there. Like, I wonder if this sharing is just so inherent in mm. the way of being, mm. right? Like I was thinking about the Navajo. I don't want to necessarily go there. I mean, I just was there briefly. I don't know like a ton about their culture really to speak for it, but a, a a culture where where the oral tradition is is the way yeah. right and where sharing stories and thinking about the long walk and things like that and that's just inherent from the time the baby is born like i i kind of wonder where this sits like is that trauma more processed or less pro- processed differently than maybe a household like mine or hours if I'm overstepping where like this stuff wasn't really, you know, part of everyday conversation for me at all. Um, and I think for, for us less. So that's, that's that's where I am. I'm just thinking about it. No, that's, I think that's a really interesting point. I was thinking about sort of culture too, right? Like when, even when you were talking Kate about the unconscious patterns, part of it is also sort of the cultural norming and expectations that we hear. Brienne, you're your example is making me think because my mom was very interested in this story of the family on the airplane where the children were in the jungle for those mm, yes. months. Did you hear this oh, story yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. The, that they survived? Mm-hmm. And when they interviewed the grandparents, the grandparents said 
these kids perspective of the jungle is life, not death. Hmm. And that they played games. They played survival games, hmm. not like hide under the table for fear, but like so that you will survive in an abundant sort of way. And I think your make like that story is exactly aligned with your point is that the way in which we frame and talk about these things, I mean, they don't, this culture, I don't know anything about this culture other than this story. So I understand that this is one experience and it's so powerful to even think like, cause as an, as a U.S. citizen, who's never been to a jungle, the jungle Terrifying. is scary as crap to me. <laughs> like all I picture is darkness, big snakes and lots of bugs. And these kids are like, it's a bounty. It's life giving. And they know. So anyway, I think what you're saying makes absolute sense. And so I think what perhaps is missing a little bit from this book is that this is even made more important when we weave into the place where you sit culturally. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's oppressive, right? That like, I just, for preparation of a workshop I just did, I read an article. It's a historical article about the sensibility of comfort. And it gives a historical sort of story of why we privilege comfort over discomfort. And it's similar, like comfort was seen as you're prosperous, you've made money, you have the creature comforts, like literally, right? And so there was no room. If you were uncomfortable, it meant that you hadn't reached a particular status in life, right? So that's carried through and manifested in different ways. And now we find ourselves, you know, reading books like Emotional Inheritance, where we need to recognize. Yeah. Um, yeah so that that was a great I love that you brought that in, Brianne. I think that was really important. Can I just add, I, I don't want to I love where we're going. I have to say, like, as much as I love this book, I also have some pushback and I was curious Um critical kind pushback but there's a quote and i don't remember where it is in the book but it says um for it is only by following the traces those ghosts leave that we can truly change our destiny any thoughts on that i'm not a fan of destiny first of all so i would love for i would love to hear either a uh in support or not of that word <laughs> i'm just curious <laughs> Um, for me, I think it was just sort of, um, I mean, I think that the, yeah, let me, let me find the quote. It was, it is only by following the trace of yeah, that we can truly change our destiny. Yeah. I think that it's, um, you know, I mean, I think we all have agency. We all have, you know, chance to do whatever it is that we're trying to do in life. I, I think that it's like, you know, if there's someone out there who's feeling the trapped in some of these patterns and these kind of, um, you know, like deeper uh, struggles or yearnings, I think that it's a great reminder and invitation to look back to mm. reveal those ghosts. Because she had said later, I think in the book that it was once the the ghost became an ancestor it separated the, the physical struggle that that person was going through. It gave it a name and it could become a story that is outside of sleepless nights and whatever the physical manifestations of the stress of this trauma are. So I think that in, in those situations, then I think that that's just a, an invitation for an opportunity for healing if needed. 
but I, I don't know on planet earth if you are cruising and you're good and you got no issues and you're feeling fine. Like, I don't think it's necessary to like go back in the family tree and be like, mm. what was your trauma? Great grandpa <laughs> Bill. You know, like, I just don't like, I don't know that like you have to do that to like check and make your destiny known. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it allows for a greater, a greater sense of self, a greater sense of place, a greater appreciation for mm. what was um, to maybe in a more deep authentic way. Yeah. Uh, appreciate where you're standing today. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. I was thinking about the depth as well. I mean, there are two <clears throat> words in that quote that I don't love necessarily. The first is only, um, for it is mm -hmm. only by following the traces, these ghosts, I sort of to Kate's point, I'm not sure that's the only way to live a fulfilled life. I think it could perhaps be more fulfilling. It could, there could be additional layers and depth and, and that sort of thing that's revealed. And, um, and then I, destiny, I don't know. It just feels, this line feels a little bit like Hollywoody. Like it should be on the front of the book. Like it's like a, mm. there's so much depth to this book. I don't know yeah. that this quote really does it justice. And yet it's the one that pops up when you yeah. Google the book. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's a bit of a catchphrase. I, I even <laughs> wonder what Dr. Atlas would say, because in the podcasts, I mean, she's a serious researcher, like no right. joke. Right. And therapist. So I wonder I, I think I would like the quote better if it said something like um, that we can only truly know ourselves or something. I just I just felt like and I, and I don't like the only either. Um, but the idea of not change our destiny, but just sort of getting at the root of ourselves feels better. And I think it's coming on the on sort of as we prepare Brianne for our season five, which is going to be about belonging to self. So it's sort of top of mind to be thinking about the inside work of belonging. And so I can see where there's a role for thinking about and reflecting on the experiences of our ancestors and um, yeah. And so anyway, I was just curious about that. I'm not a fan of that word. Destiny just conjures Hollywood yeah, that's how I feel. and yeah. sort of the, the pseudo romanticism of romantic comedies. I love romantic comedies. I've said it before. I'm like, my wife thinks it's ridiculous, but I love, <laughs> I mean, I like love a dripping, predictable romantic <laughs> comedy. And I also know it's like not true to life, but maybe right. that's why I love it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like a departure. It's a little yeah. escapist yeah. vibe. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm with you right there with the rom-coms. Yeah. Total, total fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just safe and it wraps up in a bow. It's not like life at all. You know, it's like, it just, it's, you, you know, what's coming next. And at the end you can go, ah, the end, yeah, you know, it's like, and I like Disney's the same way. Our, our kids are young enough that they still get really upset when something bad happens and I just say, it's Disney, just wait 10 minutes and yeah. things will get better. Right. So it's just, it's just that arc, right. That happens. Yeah. Um, I think Kate, in your um, introductory reaction to that paragraph, you mentioned this idea of secrets and I feel like we've been implicitly talking about this notion of secrets. And, and so I'm just wondering I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts and Brianne too? Um, you know, the role of secrets, what's the implication for secrets given what we've just talked about, talked about, which is how much do we share? How much do we tell? Is it necessary? 
yeah, I'm just, that's where my brain went. And so I'm just wondering, what do you both think about this role of family secrets? Yeah, I, on page 95, she kind of dives in. She says, an important question comes to the surface. Is it better for the next generation of trauma survivors, the inheritors to know or not to know? Mm. Does it even matter? Assuming our ancestors' trauma finds its way into our minds anyway. Um, it says parents want to protect their children from carrying their pain and children try to protect their parents from having to reveal and relive their traumas. The unconscious collusion between parent and child is one that aims to avoid pain and it contributes to the repression of those experiences, which become unspoken secrets. Um, and she goes on to talk about sort of secondary trauma when parents are talking about their trauma and how they become sort of like re-traumatized mm -hmm. themselves. And it was interesting. I had found... Um, was Duke, yeah, the Duke Office of Institutional Equity. They were talking about um, with intergenerational trauma, um, most people employed to unhealthy coping mechanisms, which is denial. So like refusing that it even happened or the silence or the secrets or minimization. So when they're if they do talk about it and the kid is having a reaction, they kind of say like, oh, well, your situation is a lot easier than what I had to go through, you know, and then it kind of creates this um, sort of negative family dynamic. So it's, you know, it is, it's, 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 because um, you want to spare as much you can uh, paint, you know, it's kind of that, like, helicopter parent uh, description, you know, where you're trying to make sure that they're not, um, you know, falling or hurting themselves. But the, I don't know, at least for me, the further along you get into parenthood, you realize like, that's not a good strategy. You know, like they have to fall, they have to, you know, I, the, Brienne, your daughter, when she was learning how to drive and she would get off uh, the right lane becomes an exit only lane sometimes. And you just, you have to get off a handful of exits to know that you can't, <laughs> if you want to continue down the highway, you have to switch lane, you know, but all of that, and, and we've all done these things. This is all like totally normal and necessary. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I, I don't know. I don't think that there's a straight answer. I think that's so complicated and, and dark you know, to like, but I, I, I'm, I'm one to, I'm an open book. I'm one to always, uh, desire to bring things to light, but, um, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. Brianne, what do you think? Yeah. I don't think there is a good answer. I think that's why she wrote this book. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's hard. I mean, I think yeah. it's really tricky because I think parents, you know, most parents are just super well-intended and just want to protect their children from pain and harm. And, don't want to share those things. And at first the word secret, I'm like, well, it's not really a, some of these things are secrets yeah. and other things you just haven't had occasion to share yet. Right. Right. So I don't know. I, to me, it becomes a question of at what point is it appropriate to share and to what degree are you sharing? Mm -hmm. um, is it lying by omission? If you don't share, I think so. Um, yeah. I guess to some degree. Um, I don't know that the word that really stuck out to me, and I think it's related to this idea of secrets, um, is grievability, which I don't think is a word that I'd ever really thought about before. So this is from page 84, and it's the story of um, the guy who, who – Oh, I think we lost her for a uh -oh. second. So yeah. um, hopefully she'll, she'll be back. I mean, yeah. I can share – I can it is share worth – Oh, oh, 
Well, there you are. You're back. Oh, yeah. You froze for a sec. Oh, I did? Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. You what got did us you to page, You got us to page 84 and then you left us hanging. Yeah. Was like, oh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. So, yeah. Cliffhanger. So page 84, there's a story of a guy named Leonardo. He's a client whose, fa- whose grandfather had taken his own life um, because mm. he was gay. And that was just not accepted at the time. And that's way too simple of a of definition. But the bottom line is that he killed himself. And so Leonardo was trying to process that and, and come to terms with that. And this idea of grievability came up and it's like, what is a life that's worth grieving or not? Um, because there was a lot of, there are a lot of secrets around his grandfather's sexuality at that time. It was really not okay. And they're like, well, they killed him because he liked to be with men. And they're like, well, no, ultimately it wasn't that it's that he loved this man. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was more than just the intimate act. It was like, this was a relation. I mean, this was just, it was a life partner. I mean, there was so much involved in this, but that was not allowed to be acknowledged. And so what is grievable? Like what is worth mentioning? What is something that we mourn, which is to say that we recognized it enough to say that it was love and then to, to understand the pain when that was taken away. Right. So that really kind of made me stop and think about this idea that everything is fine. Mm-hmm. Like it's not actually. Um, and what is grievable, this was a huge example. I don't have, I don't think examples like that from my own life, but um, if something is grievable, you're, you're honoring it. You're saying that this was something very um, strong and powerful and important to you. Like Carrie, like you said before with empathy, it's the ability to like hear that story and to know that it's true. Mm-hmm. And that that stuck with me. And like, how can we as parents maybe wrestle with the idea of secrets and grievability? Like what is worth sharing? How do we kind of pull all this together? That's, yeah, it's an open question. I don't have an answer, but it really made me think a lot. Yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, I think, I think what's hard is that there isn't one answer here, right? Like it truly is we have to sort of think about what's the goal, what's the necessity, and then act. And it's probably going to be different ways in different situations, which makes all of this really hard. I mean, I can speak from a grievability as someone who had to do some covering, um, you know, as a college student in a relationship, a pretty significant relationship with a woman, my family not knowing that I was gay, and then breaking up having to pretend like it was just a friendship gone sour, right? Which is very different than killing yourself, clearly. Like, I'm I'm not trying to compare magnitude. Um, I will say that the experience of that is a recognition that not saying anything doesn't work. So I do know that the action is not no action. So without divulging other people's stories, I am am willing to say that I wrestle with some things that I know affect how I show up in the world. And I know um, uh, reverberate on my kids. And I'm not going to share the details of the secrets. Mm -hmm. And yet I tell them enough so that the reverberation is acknowledged, if that makes sense. Cause like, they're not dumb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I don't know the the science. 
I think kids are way more intuitive than we are. Like they just feel the feels Mm -hmm. even when we say it. So what I am trying to do as a parent is at least set up an environment where we can talk about the effect of the elephant in the room, even if they're not ready to see the elephant in the room, because that is not kid appropriate or they're just, it's too complicated for their brains to even grapple with it yet. But to even say, even, I mean, let let me even make it a simple one that I can share. When Susan and I have an argument, you know, we close the door and Colby knocks on the door and maybe I've I'm emotional. So I, I'm usually at, in tears. It doesn't matter if it's like, because I spilled milk or because it's something big, I just cry. Mm-hmm. And he'll say to me, why are you crying? Well, I could just say I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing's wrong. But what I say instead is, you know what, bud, your mom and I, we argue and Mimi feels things. And this is right. Like he doesn't even need to know the topic. It's just that these things happen and we're things are going to be okay. We just need a little time. So anyway, that all that was a lot. I'm sorry, but all that's to say is I think action is required, but we can moderate what that action is. And I don't even think we need to go into the details of the story necessarily, right? To 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 give them a message. But but that's just again, maybe in 2 years I'll be like, "Boy, that was stupid, Carrie." <laughs> no, I think that's great. <laughs> I love that so much and I think that that is that's such a thoughtful way. I love that. I'm going to take that with me. Um I love mm-hmm. that um the reverberation, not the details. Like I'm such a de- detailed person. Like I I'm I'm an open heart. I share all the things. Yeah you're really, you know, tasked with raising other humans and specifically in the context of, you know, trauma and and hard things in general, um, big T, little T, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that because I, I'm not someone who, you know, condones secrets and hiding and putting things in the dark and denying, like that's not, um, aligned with who I am at all. Mm-hmm. But when you look at action, sometimes it's like, well, we'll just talk about that later. That's <laughs> a tough one. Whoop, you know, and as yeah. old as she's 15, you know, and different, you know, my son is 13, like things are starting, like those bigger, um, topic things are, um, you know, are coming, uh, and are here and we have had conversations. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, gleaning from, you know, the elephant in the room situation and and kind of filtering it, you know, and siphoning out some of the mm-hmm. important bits, even in broad brushstrokes, you know, I think can be a, a gift to the next generation because you're shining a light on the essence of what it is, but you're not seeing the gory details of what really is, you know, yeah. like that can be kind of a, I like that. Yeah. That was good, Carrie. Well, I also, I mean, I also feel like, and we all know this from experience, when you leave everything up for interpretation and ambiguity, mm-hmm. the stories that they make up are usually way worse. Yeah. Than yeah. the reality. Yeah. So yeah. Any way you can modulate that. And I mean, the other thing I'll say, and this is really personal experiences, I also don't want to be making decisions about like, do they or don't they have relationships with individuals, right? Like that, those are, those are big, those are big decisions that perhaps don't need to be made just yet. Right. And I don't want them upset with me for, for, for making that so quickly. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a process for sure. Mm Mm-hmm.
Uh, it's like my favorite thing to listen to you guys talk and then I get to chime in. Um, <laughs> so I have two thoughts based on this idea. One is I've been listening to um, somebody named Kate Bowler. She's, mm, do you know her? her. Yeah, yeah love, love her. her. Right. And so she was talking about um, life on a continuum and how, you know, really we would love if, if it's like sad to happy, the continuum. Mm -hmm. Really, we'd love to like land on the happy side always. And that's just not, you know, most things, for example, Jason and I were in Iceland last week. That was like the 10, 10 of yeah. 10. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> like you're away from work. It's just beautiful. All the great things. And then there's the other side, which would be like, you know, the hardest funeral, the worst loss, that kind of thing. And so there are people that live, of course, on both sides of those occasionally. And most of the time we're in the middle mm -hmm. and we're swinging within that or across that um, kind of spectrum. And that helped me because when I'm thinking about wanting to protect the kids, like mm -hmm. their lives are not going to be on the happy side always. Like that's just, mm -hmm. it's just not real. So let's mm -hmm. teach them how to live in the middle with the swings going mm -hmm. one way and saying, sometimes we're in Disney world and it's just phenomenal yeah, and it's magical and glorious and fun. And then other times it's really hard. And most times we're, you know, having a good day. Things are good or a little bit of a harder day, but it's not like a one, you know? Yeah. So there's that piece, which I appreciated that just really clear perspective of it's just not always awesome and it's not supposed to be awesome. So there's mm -hmm. that. Um, and then have you read anything by Edith, Dr. Dr. Edith Eager, the Holocaust survivor? No. Oh my gosh. Her work is just incredible. I heard her on Brene Brown mm. and various other places. And um, now I've just, I've read one of her books and it's really hard to read, of course, because she details her experience there. Obviously she lives because she's talking about this, but at, at every turn, you're like, how could this possibly end with her alive? Mm -hmm. And her whole, I mean, she's so forward about this horrific thing that she experienced and the relationships in it that helped her to get through. And she just finds positivity in it, but not Pollyanna, just mm -hmm. kind of like the grit of humanity and what we can do when we connect with one another. And I can't think of a, a more horrific situation to have survived to come out on the other side and talk about a credible source, right? Yeah. So between Kate Bowler of like, we're usually in the middle and Edith, who was like a hundred percent lived on that really scary left side and has come out in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, I just think there's a lot to learn. And if she shared those secrets, you know, it sort of gives me some feelings like, okay, I can share some of the things that I've endured and my kids can probably handle that because mm -hmm. her kids have handled hearing, you know, these horrible things. And so when it's couched in, yeah, that was a really hard time. That was like a one or a two on my continuum. Um, those those two women kind of give me some insights on how to move forward with the action, Carrie, that you were talking about. Yeah, I love that sort of the swing that you mentioned. Because yeah, what great. I was, yeah, what I was thinking about is, you know, again, coming off of a workshop about, about discomfort and working with adults and knowing in the research that we run, we bury it, we run through it, we hide from it and thinking like, again, it's sort of like, this is part of life. And mm -hmm. these, these little T big T traumas and these, the hardness of life, it's part of it. And we need to start thinking about this as part of the teaching and learning with our, with our kids. Cause mm -hmm. like, if 
I mean, I am not a resilience expert. I don't even really know the research on resilience. When someone asks me at the workshop what my thoughts are with resilience and discomfort, and my humble opinion about res resilience is we need to change the systems that cause us to need resilience instead of focusing so much on building up resilience. And I feel like that resonates here because like if we spent more time talking about the hard things, we could metabolize the hard things and process these things rather than like building up armor and resilience to fight them back. And so could we just stop talking about needing more resilience and start talking about needing more conversations about discomfort? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. I think that's so true. And I, the um, concept of post-traumatic growth, have you heard about this or do you know mm -hmm. much about this? So when I was kind of going through my illness and, you know, everything was really tough, someone had talked, you know, there's obviously post-traumatic stress disorder and then there's post-traumatic growth. And they say that oftentimes when you go through something hard, you know, you can kind of go down many different paths after you kind of come up for air. And I'm thinking about this, you know, Holocaust survivor, like you said, and sometimes born of a hard thing, big T, little T trauma, sometimes it opens a door to be able to appreciate the small things in life, to have a different perspective through which you are looking that was a gift only given because you marched through this hard thing. So I feel like that can sometimes be the little bounce of like, you know, resilience or whatever, you know, or growth, or it's a shift in mindset. And I don't really know if it's <laughs> random. I don't know how to cultivate that if you're in a hard thing and like, how do I take that path number A to growth and resilience and, and light and positivity, like you said. And, and I think that is something that's so, especially with belonging and authenticity, when you share, I was just having a conversation with my husband about this. It's like when you share, I'm all for positivity and optimism, but I think that when you are only in that space and you don't acknowledge the hard things, it's so difficult to hold on to. And I'm not saying that you have to go to the dark or you have to go, you know, sit in the depths, you know, like if that's not how you're wired, but I think that the both and again, always, you know, like of, um, of having the hard thing, knowing that the hard things come, knowing that sometimes you're in the hard thing, knowing that you will hopefully get through the hard thing. Um, but then what do you do with it? And it's like having, you know, that opportunity to, to shine a light. And that's really, so it's cause that is incredible that she went through all that she did that yeah. you're, you're eager and, and to be po considered positive after all that is like remarkable. But. Yeah, we had uh, Brianna and I had someone on the podcast, Taylor Gonzalez, who is a trained yoga, per I don't even know what they're oh, called, yeah. yoga person, and also a coach. And um, something that she talked about, and I had a conversation with her later, um, you know, she was using an example of a client who was expressing how they just get frustrated sometimes, right? They just, just frustrated. And she said, well, what if you just sat with that frustration for a minute? Like, right, just sit with it. So like, you know, we're talking about the swings and the continuums and the, we feel this and we feel this. Like, what if we just learned to just be in whatever that thing, no judgment, non-attachment, just mm -hmm. sat with it, right? And she said, and then ask yourself, what's the message this thing is trying to give you? 
right? It's not, this is not a Pollyanna optimistic silver lining thing. This is like legit. Mm -hmm. You're experiencing this thing. And what's important about this thing? What's the message of this thing you're experiencing? And I just, I took that to heart and and I have tried in my own sort of day to day, like, just don't try to push it away. Like, don't judge yourself. Like, just feel if you're angry, feel it and then ask, ask it like, what do you, what do you need? What's the message? What's, you know, what's important here? And I know that sounds to some people that'll sound too woo woo, but like, that's I'm the here work. for it. <laughs> I so, love it. I think it's great. Yeah. That's well, and it's really so much harder to be inauthentic. Like it's oh, so much harder to so fake much it. Harder. Like, you know, yeah. so you're going to bury yeah. it, find a place to put it in a container. And then you got to use all of this like cognitive load to like secure that container lid. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, blah, no, thank yeah. you. Like, I yeah. mean, <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details because I don't want to tell Brianne's story, but like yesterday we had a a work meeting. Oh yeah. Trying to, trying to get back into the groove. And then Rough. last night we had an email exchange because we were both telling each other stories about that work meeting. And we both this morning, I was like, if we had just named what was in the virtual space during that meeting, both of us would have like, yeah, know, I agree like, with you, but I also would say that I'm a processor. So I left that meeting thinking like, uh, like I was kind of like, meh, I mean, it wasn't like horrible. No, or whatever, no, 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 but, it wasn't, but horrible. I just kind of felt like unsettled by it. Yeah, and I, I did too. If you had asked me to name it in that moment, I don't think I could have, like, it took me a little while to be like, why was I like kind of feeling like meh when I left that? Yeah. But you know? don't and you so, think, but like, yeah. Okay. Yes. And not a, but sorry. And don't you think if I had done what I do, which is like, if you ask me a lot of good interrogating like questions, something's yes. not right. And like, if I processed it out loud yeah. with my vomit for you, then like, <laughs> maybe you would have been like, oh yeah. So at least, right. So yeah. I know we have to wrap soon because Brianne's time is short today. Uh, um, so I want to, I wanted to give each of you, I don't know, like, What's your big takeaway? What's your learning? What didn't you like? I don't know, just sort of a final thought before we wrap on this one. Yeah, I I think I it was a hard book for me to read, mm-hmm. uh, kind of taking on everyone's trauma. But I think that for me, uh, recognizing that like that um, riptide or that undercurrent, you know, and just just acknowledging that whether it exists or not, or whether I'm aware of that today or never or in 10 years or whatever, just to like consider that in my like little trivial pursuit pie chart of like an option of like, let me, is there, is there room to dig and grow and, you know, kind of uh, take steps forward from there? And what was the, um, Let's see. When we can learn to identify the emotional inheritance that lives within us, things start to make sense and our lives begin to change. Slowly, a door opens, a gateway between present life and past trauma. On our way to healing, that which seemed impossible now becomes tangible. The pain diminishes and a new path appears to love. And I think it's love of self. I think it's love of others. I think it's uh, honoring what was and how it brought you here. Um, And you know, just kind of, uh, I don't know, just acknowledging and sitting in what's true and real and appreciate, you know, honoring that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I mean, same, same idea. I think it's super important to read something like this as a parent, as a teacher, um, just as somebody who interacts with other people in the world, which I guess is everybody. (laughs) Most everybody. Um, Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I think particularly in these roles as parents and teachers, it's so, 
helpful. I just need to learn more. Like I need to understand what, you know, what is my hesitation with, with sharing a story? This book made me really second guess the importance of sharing stories. Right. And Mm. there were a couple of quotes on our prep document. Um, One was when our minds remember our bodies are free to forget, which was kind of a nice thing. I think that you don't have to sit in it forever. Like if you do the work, you can work through, which was freeing to me. And then the other I liked in the end, we come to realize that it is the unexamined lives of others that we ourselves end up living. Oof. Yeah. Which I know that's not like maybe the most positive way to leave, but it's just an invitation to examine and it's Mm -hmm. an invitation to action and reflection, which is my favorite thing. And yeah, it's sort of an imperative, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's a good, that's a good quote. Brianne, I love that. And Kate, I love what you brought too. Yeah. I mean, I think the takeaway is what we've been talking about. And I do think this is a worthwhile read. Um, We're not going to lie to you. It's a hard read at times. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of hope in this book though. It's not, um, I didn't find it, you know, pessimistic and negative. It's hopeful. It's hard and hopeful. I really Mm -hmm. think. Um, And I just, yeah. And sweet (laughs) and uh, bittersweet. And I just think that like, it's just such a a re- good reminder and good evidence that like the stuff is here no matter how hard you try to ignore it it's here mm-hmm. it's in our bodies it's in our minds it's in our actions it's in what we say and what we don't say and Brianne's right like I- examining our lives and doing some reflection and paying attention and being more present and not at one point in the conversation, I was thinking about that like highway hypnosis, right? Where you're just driving down the road. We need to stop with the highway hypnosis and pay way more attention in our lives. Um, it's worth it for us and it's worth it for our kids and anybody that we have contact with throughout our lives. So, um, yeah. So I want to say like, I'm celebrating that we kind of planned and this was kind of awesome and absolutely fun. So <laughs> totally agree. We did it. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So thanks everybody for listening. This has been another episode of tell me this. Is it the last one of season four? I don't know. You'll just have to wait and find out. So I know. All right, everybody take care. Under the glaciers your last year Someday searching for you